Hello and welcome to Star Trek, a comic book review. Our continuing mission will be to explore and review all Star Trek comics released from 1967 to today. These stories were released in Gold Key Comics, Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Malibu Comics, Wildstorm Comics, IDW Comics, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek Expanded Universe contains is copyrighted and trademarked by Paramount Pictures, all rights reserved. Hi, it's Star Trek Comic Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number three for November 18th, 2009. Yes, we'll be going over issues number five, six, and seven of the Gold Key comic book series. Yes. Star Trek, classic Trek, how could you want more? Doesn't get better. Uh, Although sometimes we wish it would. Yes, and this week we're going to only do three because we thought that uh, doing four and one did not get enough uh, credit to the fourth one because we were just trying to rush through it. So by lowering it down to three, uh, hopefully the uh, reviews will be a little bit better. Exactly. And the podcast a little bit shorter. That's right. And we don't want to tax our our huge, massive viewing audience. Yes, it keeps getting bigger every week. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it got it got better by one person. Art listened exactly, so we were we're up a hundred percent from last week. Okay, so now we have uh, now we have two people, two listeners. That's right. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and get started. Then uh, we're going to first go through Star Trek number five, uh, released uh, September nineteen sixty nine, The Ghost Planet. All right, starts off with a teaser uh, of some bald men on a TV screen over a Saturn-like looking planet with the Enterprise pulling the rings away from the planet. All right, part one. Enterprise is in the galaxy Zelta. Spock discovers a hidden planet behind some copper rings. Uh, the Enterprise punches through the rings. Uh, Kirk, Spock, and a few other crewmen beam down and discover an empty city. Uh, the city is huge, but it's abandoned, and there's uh, evidence of war, uh, like bomb craters and, and whatnot. Uh, they hear a voice that instructs them to wait for a, fo- uh, a car. When the car arrives, they just jump into it, and uh, they go to a building and are greeted by a robot. And the robot takes them to another view screen, uh, where they're introduced to Justin and Justin. So from now on, they're referred to as Justin 1 and Justin 2. And these are the twin rulers of the planet Numero Uno. All right. I hear that good pizza. Yes, yes. All right, the two Justins tell them how the rings were formed, and uh, the uh, Unites, I guess is what they call it, Unoites, uh, take refuge in two satellites that are orbiting the planet. Spock says that he, they can use the Enterprise to pull the rings away so the planet can be habitable again. Uh, They find out that uh, there's a little bit more to the story and that there was a civil war that uh, created the planet, uh, the rings, and uh, made the planet uninhabitable. All right, Kirk calls a summit to the Enterprise with the two Justins. When they are confronted with the truth, they both pull out guns. The end of part two. I mean, part one. Then part two shows up, starts with uh, Kirk shooting uh, the two Justins, or just shooting their hands uh, where the guns are. Uh, they, uh, the Justins agree that uh, they will stop creating weapons if the Enterprise helps them. Uh, Spock agrees with them, so Kirk does it. The Enterprise tries to pull the rings off. They can't. The crew then uh, are finally able to do it with the satellite's help. Uh, then they beam down to check on the radiation, find out that it's not copper radiation, but atomic radiation. 
And then they find some like stockpiles of weapons. Um, Justin's then attack them, try to get the weapons back. Uh, Spock tricks them by thinking that the rings have returned. Justin surrender, and then Enterprise leaves. The end. So, and first things first. Uh, both of the bad guys' names are Justin. Did it ever explain why they're both named Justin? No. See, I, but the, I, I think it underscores the idea that there are two halves. Of, of the planet's society who look identical. It's like they should be united, but somehow. I kept waiting for them to uh, come out with the reason for the Civil War was that they were two different sets of clones from the original population. Oh. So clone number one, Justin oh. number one, was fighting clone number two, Justin number two, and uh, they just blew up the whole planet trying to take over. That is never mentioned, uh, but yeah. I thought that that was an explanation for why they both look exactly the same, and exactly. they're called Justin 1 and Justin 2. Mm. But what's funny That's is that they only call themselves Justin, and then Kirk starts referring to them as Justin 1 and Justin 2, and then later on throughout the comic, they start referring to each other as Justin 1 and Justin 2, like like they just went ahead and took the name of uh, that Kirk gave them. I just thought that was weird. Yeah, I think they make a lot of decisions in these books that are strictly based on making it understandable. Simple, understandable, that they're not taxing the audience too much. Yeah, and I thought these uh, the Justins looked a lot like the old Lex Luthor with the uh, the bald head and then these purple-like coats with the the high collar. Looked like the old Lex Luthor from the DC Comics. Mm. Uh, well, the face definitely. I can't speak for the, uh, the yeah, high collar thing. He, he always wore purple and, uh, in, the, in, the, in this time, the 70s, they were... Mm. High collars were kind of in in fashion. Okay. Uh, the funny thing is on the cover here, kind of jumping to the cover, has a picture of Spock on like a little television while Kirk is sitting in a chair. Uh, the picture of Spock is reversed. So it's like a, a reverse image of Spock kind of squatting down, pointing, holding a phaser. Uh, what do you mean reverse from the original photo uh, which you know yeah. about? Well, obviously, look at the, uh, the logo. The logo is on the wrong side of his chest. So it's a oh, it's an, a mirror image of the real point. Photo. Interesting point. Interesting observation, yeah. Sherlock. I do know that in the original TV show, they use that a lot uh, when they beam down to a strange planet. Mm -hmm. uh, they would purposely reverse the film to kind of give it a different, to kind of give it an mm -hmm. odd look. You didn't know what it was, but there was something different. Yeah, exactly. So the, like everybody's hair was suddenly parted on the wrong side. I mean, Spock obviously doesn't have that problem, but you know, Chekhov and Kirk yeah. would have their hair suddenly parted on the wrong side. Um, Alright so. yeah, I, I definitely want to make a comment about um, When they do come upon the planet They talk about uh, Spock checking the spectroscope now, Captain And I think that's a, an example of making it simple Yeah, oh yeah uh, Now, they had sensors on the show A nice generic label for a piece of equipment And they're going back to spectroscopes Which obviously are going to be archaic um, In the future but um, but maybe because the audience might have heard of spectroscopes as part of normal uh, astronomy. Well, well, as we've made comments before, even though these sh stories are kind of written maybe for a lower audience or a younger audience, mm -hmm. they do give a lot more details as far as what they need to prepare for a mission, what mm -hmm. type of mm -hmm. instruments they're actually looking at in order to get to that data. So, Yes, uh, like, like rolls of film. Yes. Well, I didn't say it was always great. <laughs> Again, they're, they're still making references to galaxies when, based on this comic book, yeah. I'm quite positive they're, they're talking about solar systems. 
So, yeah, but yeah, Galaxy Zelta. Zelta. So yeah. it's seen in every in every comic book we read so far, they're always in a different galaxy. Right. And then uh, the next one we'll, we'll talk about. It talks about the planet orbiting. Uh, the uh, galaxy, or the planet uh, in orbit within this galaxy, which obviously would be a planet. I mean, yeah, the planet around a sun versus a planet around a galaxy. So we'll get yeah. into that in issue number uh, uh, six, five, six. Yeah, well, th- there's no two ways about it. They definitely throw around um, astronomical uh, astronom- <laughs> uh, terms within yes. astronomy uh, very haphazardly. That make no sense, yes. Um, here on the first page, they talk about uh, the uh, queenship of exactly. the of the, the federation. Queen. How gay! <laughs> it's like number one. I read that I said queenship. Well, that's probably it's gay. That's the Enterprise is gay. I don't think it's that kind of queen. Oh, okay. Uh, it's supposed to be flagship, but uh, maybe maybe that wasn't I, established at this point. Uh, no. Come on, <laughs> and it's also, the flagship of the of the of Starfleet. Come it on, is, it always it has been in the show. I'm now, sorry. And then when the Enterprise starts rocketing into these uh, these copper belts, uh, you have Kirk say, "Secure seatbelts." <laughs> Obviously, yeah. they've never seen an episode of Star Trek because we know that they never have seatbelts. Inertial adapters. Who needs seatbelts? Well, obviously everybody, because as soon as they get hit by something, they're all on the ground. Uh, well, which is the other thing. I mean, you got inertial dampers to explain how your body does not get splatted against the wall when you're traveling. At when you're great traveling speeds. at great speeds, um, yet you still get tossed about the uh, bridge. Yeah. At least in the original series. Oh, in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Did they all do that? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And then. Uh, if you remember in the very first episode of uh, Enterprise, uh, there was a comment when uh, I think it was Yoshi or somebody fell out of the chair mm. when they got hit, oh, they and then she it. makes the comment it's like, "I'm going to recommend they put seatbelts on these." Yeah, and her. you know, obviously, it was funny because you know that even 200 years later, they still don't have seatbelts. Exactly. Like this is all they're real. cool. They're cool. <laughs> all well, right. It is? Well, yeah. Oh, this is real. Actually, heck yeah. Okay. Well, good. All right, so uh, when they went to the planet and it was uninhabited, the, the first thing I thought about was issue number three where that, the city builders were building those cities that mm-hmm. nobody was living in. So yeah. I was like, this is a rerun. But then it got, it got good when they started seeing the, the bombs, uh, the bomb craters. Sure. Uh, they do make reference to speaking the language Esperanto. Esperanto, Esperanto, yeah. Which is, is, is uh, yeah, it's interesting that they would even bother. Right. Uh, explaining that bit. As we mentioned, uh, I think, in the previous uh, uh, episode. Or, yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> another interesting one on this one is the fact that uh, McCoy... I mean, so Scotty doesn't oh, see... Yeah. Scotty's not around, apparently. Yeah. He, he's, like, on vacation or something. And they've got McCoy doing all these things that are not... Just not appropriate right. for, for the doctor. He's manning the transporter. Exactly. So, uh, so Kirk's saying before they uh, go down... Uh, pick two men from the crew and come with me, Mr. Spock. Dr. McCoy, you keep contact with us from here. It's like, okay, so Uhura's gone too? I, I guess know. so. But I just wanted him to pull out his communicator and say, beam me up, McCoy. Mm-hmm. He never does, though. Yeah, I, I wouldn't trust him. Yeah, you, as we know, he doesn't trust transporters exactly. to begin with. Exactly. And now he's manning the transporter station? Don't think so. <laughs> All right. So you got anything when they actually land and are greeted by the uh, the car and then the robot? Not really. I do think it's funny that when they start speaking to the Justins mm-hmm. and they refer to the planet as Numero Uno. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And then uh, the first thing I thought of was uh, Riker in the, what is it, the Best of Both Worlds or the episode where Lucutus, yeah, yeah, where he says, they're heading to section zero, zero, Sector one. Zero. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Which is Earth, so. Yeah. Zero, zero, yeah, right. Yeah, so Earth is zero, zero, one, yeah. and then this random planet in the Zelta Quadrant is really numero, numero uno. planet numero uno. Yeah. <laughs> I, I personally thought of Pizzeria Uno myself. But I didn't even think of that. That's great. All right, uh, then they get told the story about how they all lost their planet. It's so sad. It is. And then they somehow found the uh, resources and time to build space stations. Yeah, twin space stations. And and look again. It looks like the uh, at least the one scene is very similar to two thousand one Space Odyssey. It is. I do like it how oh, the space station how it actually the, shows the them building it in. out in in little environmental suits mm-hmm. building these. Yeah. It looks pretty cool. Like I said, I think the artwork in these are are really good. They're really detailed. Yep. Okay. All right, and then when the the crewman comes over to Kirk and says, "Hey, come here and look at this," and then he's attacked by the the two robots, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of holding him up in the air, and he's like, yeah. "Yipes!" Yeah, it's like, Wee, uh, and then Wee. and then Spock says, "Give me your canteen," and then he just starts pouring water all over the ground, <laughs> and then just shocks it to yeah. to shock the robot so they'll let go of the crewman. Yeah. So 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 they don't want to shoot the robots because they might that could hit hurt it. the guy. So they come up with this elaborate thing to 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 electrocute the robot somehow. It's yes. uh give the robots a hot foot. And the other thing, look at this. It says uh so I think it's Kirk saying this. I get it. The water will act as a conductor for the high frequency battery charges of our transistors. But will that charge be strong enough? Well, okay. Anybody that's done anything about electronics knows that transistors do not necessarily hold a strong charge. If this was a capacitor or or a battery, well, that was obviously battery. Kirk's concern. But 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 why use a, a transistor? Is a switch. It doesn't store electricity per se. Anyway, I, I liked how they at least had a little science in here. We're talking about the uh, conducting the uh, electricity. Yeah, I, I, I do. Know, I mean, for the kids. They, they could have just shot them. So yeah. Uh, I, I think it's good that they did a little, a little bit more here, but come on. But I mean, transistor. They go through the effort. Like to they'll say, have transistors in the future anyway, like this. Yeah, I agree. But they go through the effort of saying that water is this great conductor of electricity that can shock these two robots. But you know what else is a good conductor? Metal. <laughs> and these two robots are holding this guy up in the air. Yeah. So when they start getting hit by this le- uh, electricity, it's going to go into this poor little guy. Yet he just. Falls yeah, off to the side true. and he's okay. Yeah, I agree. The robots just shock the crap out of him. Yeah, and then they find these pictures of the real story, and they're actually labeled Justin One's army, Justin Two's army. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, very handy. Yeah, so Justin One was the orange army, and Justin Two was the green army. So just from these numbers, uh, it looks like Justin Two won, because. Or no, or he lost. Oh, he had a... Justin 2 had 103,000 casualties, where Justin 1 only lost 37,000. So, uh, there you go. Somebody's a better There was general. a winner. There was a winner. <laughs> All right, and then uh, the summit, and uh, the, the, we were about to get to quick draw Kirk. 
Exactly. Where he's able to whip his phaser out faster and shoot both Justins in the hand before they can get their guns. Yeah, and of course Spock's involved too, because uh, Spock's involved on the, on the oh, next Oh no, Spock's hand. the one Spock's, that actually Spock's shoots. Speaking. Oh, okay. When I read this the first time, I thought it was Kirk, but no. It looks like it was Spock who actually shoots him, isn't it? At least the, the, the gun out of the one guy's hand. Yeah. Okay. Well, I misread that one. And it's it's a handy thing too that uh, the crew is really armed at all times. At all times. In this in this one anyway. And various uh, various uh, levels of uh, weapons. So in one frame, pistol, yeah. and then as we saw in a couple issues ago, uh, when they need, they can have just a big gigantic rifle that comes out of thin air. Where? Now, kind of off subject, but uh, Star Trek Voyager had a uh, video game, kind of a first person Doom type uh, game. Okay. And uh, in the game, you could switch out weapons m- throughout the game. And they explained that uh, the crewmen had a uh, a belt that was a, a transporter. Uh-huh. So these yeah. all these weapons were kind of in a buffer, and then they would just like beam out the uh, right, rifle right, right, or right, the right. grenade launcher or whatever they needed. So. Yeah, and that was a really good game. I thoroughly enjoyed that game. And then in later versions of the game, they, they tied in um, your main character, who's kind of almost like Master Chief. Right. Um, they had him on on the Enterprise E. Oh, really? Yes. During first. So you didn't see the later. So they had sequels. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. What was it called so, Elite Forces or something? Uh, like that? Yeah, Star Trek Elite Force or something like that. Yeah, that actually I like that. Game I like the first one. I didn't know there was more. Yeah, there was a second one. Uh, when we get to it, there was actually a comic book adaptation of the uh, of the first game. Oh, really? So when yeah. we get down there and forever many years from now, uh, there will be a Star Trek Voyager Elite Forces to look forward Sounds cool. to. Sounds cool. Yep. All right. So when Enterprise starts uh, pulling off these rings in order to help the the satellites and the Justins, the the ratio of the size of the Enterprise to the comparison to the size of the planet is mm. like way off because the Enterprise looks bigger than the planet. Yeah. Well, a lot of times in these in these pictures, in these uh, I mean they're relatively small um, panels. Right. So they kind of get have to get all the elements in it. And I think that kind of throws off some of the... uh, Yeah, and you don't know if the Enterprise is in the foreground or way in the background, but it it looks like it's in the foreground. It has to be way in the foreground, quite frankly. Or it has to be way in the background in order for it to be sized correctly. Well, I mean, if you look at this picture, it looks like the Enterprise is almost the same diameter of the planet, so obviously it must be way forward. However, if you look... Oh, that's that's what you're saying. If you look at at the perspective of this one particular panel in... It's upper left-hand corner of, of one of the pages... It shows the Enterprise shooting <coughs> magnetic beams that do not look like tractor beams. Or they kind of look like tractor beams, but they're coming from a totally uh, uh, different place than the tractor beams normally come from. Right. And, of course, they're calling them magnetic beams, not, not tractor beams. Um, but the tractor beams are coming from behind the planet, and it's pulling the materials from the planet rings away from it, and all that's happening behind the planet. Yet... For this to yeah. be the proportions to yeah, be absolutely. right, the Enterprise would have to be way in front of the planet, like uh, yeah, like millions of miles. Right. The so the planet. perspective, at the very least, well, whatever. <laughs> Nitpick it. Nitpicker. Yeah. The, the, to me, the artwork, I really liked seeing the Enterprise with all these beams and right. stuff shooting out of it. I think it looks really cool, but right. just the proportion is is way off. Yeah. But you know what? It's a kids' book. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, and then they get the help of the satellites, and they just able to rip it, and it turns into this big gigantic uh, firework. 
All right. So they when they get to the stockpile of weapons, there's actually little signs that look like kind of like Bugs Bunny old signs that has like a little arrow that says "Property of Justin One," <laughs> and then another one pointing to the other side of the stockpile, "Property of Justin Two. It's very handy, isn't it? <laughs> I thought it was oh, convenient. Can I just mention something? There's a panel where Spock is going down to the planet. Yeah, they all and, go back to the planet. Uh, exactly, and he's got a. Geiger counter of some kind, where he's trying to measure the radiation uh, to see whether it's inhabitable again. Copper radiation. And the thing is, this thing, this thing is massive. I mean, wouldn't you think they'd build that into a tricorder? And you wouldn't have to carry this dedicated. I mean, talk about convergence that's happening even today. You'd have a Geiger counter the size of. It's uh, it's bigger than his head. It's it's like it's like almost the size of a VCR, and he's carrying this thing. And uh, and it does one thing. And wouldn't the tricorder do that? But I guess you're busy using the tricorder to communicate with the ship. I don't know. Yeah. But speaking of things out of proportion, look at the size of his ears. Spock's yeah, ears yeah. are... Massive. He looks like Yoda in these things. <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, even when he's, yeah. like, far That's away, what... his ears are, like, pointed out like uh, like Yoda. Yeah. It's like the uh, the publisher, the editor of the comics are saying... You know, I gotta really tell it, Spock here. Make the ears bigger. <laughs> the uh, the Mo haircut doesn't do it. You have to have big ears. Yeah, Mo uh, Howard. Yeah, right. From Three Stooges. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, the scene where the Justin's two little attack ships are shooting them, and they're all like jumping into the yeah. little uh, uh, Mo, or I guess yeah. like some sort of foxhole or something. Yeah. I love that shot. I, I think it's a great shot. It looks just like something from a World War Two movie. Exactly. Or Kirk is like jumping forward, and then this other guy who's holding a big rifle. Right, right, right. I just like I love that shot, and they all have the big gigantic backpacks. Yeah, it. it, it I agree. Good shot. All right, and then you know he has McCoy do something to the ship to make the rings look like they appear, so that the Justins get scared and and retreat. Yeah, that was kind of weak. That was very weak. But then also here's that part you were talking about. Uh, uh, where Kirk is trying to get him out of there. Captain yeah. Enterprise, throw the transporter switch at once, Dr. McCoy. We're in big trouble. <laughs> so there's your reference yeah. to And I even wrote a little McCoy. note. Why is McCoy doing the transporter? And I forgot. Yeah, so. yeah. And where's Scotty? Where the devil well, Scotty? Scotty? I know where Scotty is. Where? He's on Jupiter 5 with his girlfriend. With, a, with the babe. Yeah, he is. With the space babe. Anybody who doesn't listen to these other podcasts, the first one we did, which was like issue number 34, he keeps making references to a girlfriend on Jupiter 5, so. All right. And then we, uh, they basically blow up the Justin's ships, the, the, the little attack craft, yep. and they blow up the, uh, they shoot the nuclear weapons. So that they can't use them. So wouldn't shooting a nuclear uh, bomb just make Tr- it a million off? times worse? I don't know. I would think you'd be spewing radiation everywhere, but whatever. Yeah. But I, I will say that while they're blowing up all these weapons of war, Kirk brings out his his weapon of war, which is the classic phaser rifle that came from the... Where no man has gone before? Exactly. Yep. The second pilot... And I love that phaser rifle. I love this shot with him like looking down the scope, and it's uh, exactly it's very I, uh, dramatic. I think I remember there being like a uh, a promotional photo. You know how they got those yeah. those pose photos, right. which they use a lot of them for the for the covers of these things. But um, I I'm pretty sure I've seen a po- that exact same pose photo of uh, Shatner. Uh, probably. And uh, and I think they just probably took that and then just you know just sketched it up. Yeah. So. 
and then they kind of talk about what they just did about having McCoy use the Enterprise to project something into the atmosphere, like a that, like a movie screen that makes it look like the rings are back yeah. or could come back. Right. I thought that was weird. Yeah. All right. Before we uh, finish this, uh, on the back of the first, uh, the back of the front cover, there is an advertisement for free psychedelic or psychedelic love-ons. Love-ons. What is a love-on? Oh boy. Hmm. I meant to look. I, meant, I don't know. I meant to Google it or something, but I was a little afraid of what I would get. <laughs> and they look kind of like those old '60s, like uh, psychedelic blacklight type mo- uh, posters. But it says psychedelic love odds. Yeah, you know, you know what that looks a little like. What? No, I'm sure that's not what it is. It looks like packaging for condoms. Huh. Oh well, I'm sure it's not. Probably not, but I don't know. Looks kind of like You're it. Stuck Individual on the, use. The love. Part. I'm, I'm stuck on the love part. But yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Could, can I just mention something? Yep. Um, after reading all these, I uh, I, I don't want to delay things too much, but I, I kind of started forming uh, rules. So rules that the writers have apparently been given when they write these comic books. Oh yes. Could, could, could I just mention these briefly? Absolutely. Because we have touched on them. Yes, because it's uh, so. I, you're 100 percent right, but go ahead. Okay, so rules <laughs> that apparently the publisher or editor or whatever must be given these writers and artist people. Number one, number one, new rules. Uh, time measurements are senseless mixture of uh, of astronomical references that make no sense at all. Lunar months, lunar no. lunar minutes, galaxy second, <laughs> lunar sun ago. A go? Anyway, so, anyway, yeah, it's just like, God, why do you do that? Okay, number two, rules number two. Travel to different galaxies every issue. Which, of course, patently is ridiculous. It's very seldom that they ever got out of the Milky Way. It should be new solar systems. I'll agree. I think just the terminology well, talk about sectors, But I maybe, again, maybe it's trying to keep it simple. Yeah. Um, number three. Expletives are stupid celestial objects. Great moons of Mars. Exactly. <laughs> Great moons of Mars, Scotty. Uh, number four, landing parties use backpacks and sometimes jackets. I like the jackets. I like the jackets. Again, we never saw that in the TV show, and no. I thought it was a nice little touch. Made it a little bit more realistic. Yeah. And, and I actually think that in the uh, first movie, Star Trek Motion Picture, uh, when they did wear jackets... Uh, I thought that that was good. And I also like they did something similar in uh, Wrath of Khan. They did in Wrath of Khan. I don't remember it in the in the first movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. They had jackets. When they went into Voyager. When they were on when, Viger, when they went into Viger. When they got off of Viger and were walking down the, the saucer section. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember that. Yeah. I just remember them in their pajamas. <laughs> their jumpsuits. Okay. Um, rockets instead of engines or nacelles. That's true. So With flames shooting from the back. Flame shooting. And afterburners. They made reference to afterburners, as we'll see yeah, in one of the, uh, one of the one of the episodes we come there. They do. One of the issues. Um, and the last thing is, uh, tech names are too closely tied to the tech of the day, such as TV space scanners and radioscopes. They talk about radioscopes. Yes. So. Um, and obviously, hmm. historical films where he has historical a films. roll of film, yeah. and he's just looking at it frame by frame. There you go. So there you go. A little. 
a little uh, side I, thing. I thought you were going to go with the formula of how the stories uh, are supposed to be written. No, but maybe you could do that one next time. Yeah. Or just do it off well, the top of your head. Uh, let me think about it. And yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're dragging this out a little bit. Yes, we are. So, that so was issue five. That was issue five. You want to jump straight into issue number six? Um, yeah, let's do that. Okay, so now we're going to do uh, issue number six. Uh, titled, When Planets Collide. Da, da, da. Okay. So, um, this particular one has uh, the teaser. Well, first off, the cover is from a mock time, I think, and it has uh, Spock ready for battle. Yep. Uh, which, of course, really doesn't have anything to do with the story, but... Nope. He looks like he's about to use some judo action. Exactly. <laughs> so, um... Before you get started, this came out December 1969. Okay, good point. So uh, December 1969. This time we only had two months in between the isu- uh, two issues, so wow. they're getting closer together. They are ramping up production. Now that the TV series is a year uh, off the air. Mm. Okay, so uh, the first page teaser, uh, the bridge has meteors piercing the hull. The crew uh, state that they are towing 10,000 tons, and everybody looks really unhappy. So it looks like an action-packed scene full of danger for the crew. Um, but one thing I will mention is at least this shot, it shows a circular bridge. Yep. Where in many of the other shots of the bridge, it seems very cramped and, and not circular. And um, anyway, so the way they've drawn the, the bridge in other, in other scenes, even in this book, um, does not quite look like the kind of round bridge we're all used to. Anyway. Um, going on. Okay, so the Enterprise is in the Alpho Galaxy. They're really running out of names. Was for that Alpho? No, Alpho. I, I think you no, typed it in. No, right. it is Alpho. Yeah. But I just keep thinking Alpho, and I want to see a the planet full of dogs. The dog food, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spock discovers two planets are about to collide uh, that are, of course, very far distant, but um, they are coming towards each other. It is surmised that the planet's collision will cause all of, all of the other planets in the Alpha galaxy to become unstable and lose their orbits, therefore raising the stakes of the game Yeah. Uh, in a way that makes absolutely no sense They whatsoever. never say if the other planets are habitable, but they do say that all planets in this galaxy will be affected. All. Yes. Okay, well, that's fine. Okay, I'm sure that makes sense. Uh, considering this, the use celestial distances between planetary bodies, especially between solar systems. But that's okay. Okay, um, they decide to destroy one of the planetoids, planets, to prevent uh, the collision, and Scotty, Kirk, and Spock beam down to the planet hydrogen, to no. plant hydrogen charges to destroy it and also make sure there is no light, uh, life. Of course, I assume that the order is reversed. <laughs> They're going to plant the charges and look at the same time. Or maybe look at the same, look around a little bit, and then plant the charges. But whatever. Okay. So um, when they plant, when they beam down the planet, they are attacked and captured by the inhabitants of the planet Morty. So the actual name is Morty. Um, they free themselves, and the leader tells the story of how they live underground with an artificial sun. Kirk decides to race over to the other planet and destroy it instead. Uh, okay. When in transit. A rock from the planet Morty that Scotty took as a souvenir tries to rip itself from the ship due to a magnet, magnetization form on the second planet. So oddly enough, uh, the planet Morty is for some reason uniquely magnetically attracted 
to the magnetic fields on the second planet. As they discover, as they become, uh, as they get closer to the second planet, uh, the, magnetiz- uh, the magnetization uh, effect increases. And I know that's not the right word, but that's okay. Um, Scotty, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy, and a few others, uh, probably red shirts, they uh, beam down and discover no life and actually plant the hydrogen charges. Before they beam off and, be- beam off and-, and detonate the charges, Spock is kidnapped by natives who call themselves Incrust people, who live underground, hence the name. Now that Kirk cannot destroy either planet, Spock has an idea to get another planet-sized objects. Why not get more mass into the picture? Uh, between them, that will repel the planets and counter the magnetization between them. Good idea, Spock. Um, I suppose. I'm not okay. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> sound logical it. to me, Just but I'm going with it. it. I'm going with it. The Enterprise is now able to tow it, even though it is damaged by the meteors. The Enterprise is. The Enterprise. Yeah, even though the Enterprise, yes, is damaged by the meteors. It works, and Kirk says, uh, this should hold up for centuries until a Starship Enterprise can discover how to really solve the problem. The end. The end. That's right. So, we talked about this little teaser at the beginning. Um, You see, like, these crewmen, they're all, like, screaming and yelling because there's all these hole breaches. Um, in the bridge. On the bridge, yeah. And you see this guy with this big, gigantic, uh, like, looks like a steering wheel. But we find out later in the book that it's actually some sort of pressure valve. Exactly. But uh, yeah. I've never seen that in Star Trek. And I've watched a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> because it's horizontal. Um, yeah, it, it, it looks like some big pressure thing they'd have, uh, like, in a factory or something. Right. Big pressure valve. But, but the whole breach is on the... Uh, the, the ceiling of the bridge. So, what, what on earth could he be doing that would seal it from space? Seal these holes from space? So, I don't. Know, they, we'll, we'll get to that they, later. They, but they, they, they should be throwing up. Uh, they should shields. be. They should be getting sucked through this little hole. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger got sucked through a hole. Oh yeah, didn't you? the end of Goldfinger, the movie Goldfinger, when uh, when he was uh, at the end. Bond is with Pussy Galore. Oh, I said Pussy. Oh, okay. And uh, and he comes from the back, and he turns out to be the pilot. Go figure that. And so he's going to get his revenge on Bond for uh, ruining his oh, okay. his heist. He gets sucked out of the plane. Exactly. Okay. He gets sucked. Well, the the plane window. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember the, they shoot the plane window, and, and he gets sucked out. Exactly. Yeah. I always think of Alien Four when the, the little Ooh. clone baby gets like sucked through little by that little. That was gross. It was gross. It was kind of bad CG, so it kind of uh, lessened the effect a little bit. Ooh, that was really vile. All right, so they go to the Alpo galaxy, but they actually this is the one where they actually talk about orbiting. So they're orbiting a, a sun, or, or or some some body. So yeah. that's why I really think that when they say galaxy, we should interpret it as solar system. Huh. And okay. then that these two random plant these two random planets are just kind of out there floating in space, and they're just going to happen to collide. Uh, the first thing I thought was, I hope they're not inhabited, because otherwise, how could a planet that's just kind of floating out in space survive without being in uh, some sort yeah, of... Yeah, a sun. Yeah, some sort of constant heat source like exactly. the sun. Exactly. Uh, which we'll get in a minute, but I thought they actually explained that one for me, so we'll talk about that in a minute. 
the uh, Ahura is not in here, but this there's a there's a guy with these big gigantic headphones on. They look yeah. like the old Walkman, and they even have like a big antenna hanging out of them and a cord. So yeah, but they, they they look like uh, what used to be re- uh, ridiculous 1960s or 70s uh, headphones from a stereo system, right? Which went away and then came back with those noise can- cancellation. Uh, <laughs> Headsets, which you I, see, I don't on really see those. I don't see well, those as being the same you don't thing. Fly. Oh, I see them all the time. Oh, I just don't well, think of them in the same. Oh yeah, idea. But no, you're absolutely right. And uh, but what's funny is that why does it have an antenna and I a completely cord? agree. I completely agree. You see the cord. Obviously, it's plugged into something, and he's got these dorky little uh, my favorite Martian uh, antennas coming out. Yeah. It looks a lot like those uh, the the FM radio ones that that they used to have in the eighties. Yeah. Because it had a big antenna that came out of it. Yeah. All right, and then he says, "I need." Uh, this is bef- I made this note before I finished the comic, but he says we need to destroy that planet. And the first thing I thought of, what are they going to do? Call Darth Vader and see if they can borrow the Death Star for a second. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that was before I knew of the hydrogen charges. Yeah, which I've never seen used before. But. Okay, so when Kirk, Spock. And Scotty beam down to the planet. Uh, you notice anything interesting about Scotty? Well, yeah, the fact that he looks like Trip Tucker again. He's blonde. He well, this is the first time he's looked like Trip Tucker. That was Kirk who looked well, like okay, Trip Tucker. Fine. But yeah, he's a, a blonde, pretty boy in here. And then uh, what I think, which, which you can only assume that they wanted to have some variety in the shot. Right. You know, with Kirk and Spock having dark hair, they wanted to have uh, some some variety. Kirk so for no hair. good reason, but not not, not the way not, they're drawing not in these them. pictures. No, I mean it'd be, make more sense to have Kirk with light hair, but whatever. Yeah. But they never do. So uh, so they said so some guy that knows nothing about Star Trek made the decision. Uh, let's make him blonde. Sure. What I think is funny is that as soon as they beam down, uh, Spock then says, "Atmosphere favorable. No need for masks." And the first thing I'm thinking is, well, thank God you just beamed wouldn't down it, to a planet. Yeah, wouldn't you want to make sure before you? They're not you, wearing uh, the mask now, so it'd be yeah. like they beam down and then the pressure like pokes yeah. their eyeballs out. We probably should have worn a mask. Damn it! Next time. Uh, then they get shot uh, by the uh, the planet Morty people, and they're like trapped in little bubbles, like yeah. little uh, uh, funky little bubbles. Yeah. And and then they they don't try to shoot themselves out. They're like, oh, we can't get. No, out. they actually say that. Uh, well, later know. on, when they actually get close to the people, don't they kind of say that? Uh, Shall I blast them with my phaser, sir? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, you had a phaser. Why didn't you shoot it when you first got captured by the bubble before the guy ever showed up? Yeah, and it's really weird because uh, I mean the, these bubbles that they entrap uh, the three landing party uh, folks on. It, all three, they get their own personal bubbles. Yep. And, and they're pulling them along like kids on a, on a, on a trip to the uh, state fair. And inside the bubbles that are floating, uh, the landing party's floating. Yeah, so, so somehow breaks gravity. And somehow breaks gravity. And, and they're, they're on these like on weird tether-looking things. Yeah. What's funny is that when it shows the, the four guys actually pulling them into the building... Yeah. Uh, they're they're wearing purple outfits and white helmets and white boots, mm. just like the inhabitants of that uh, issue number three, the city builders. Oh, really? They, these suits look almost exactly like their helmets are just slightly different. Right. So it just kind of reminds me of the old TV show when they would, you know, the from villain from villain to villain kind of looked alike, and yeah. and then when they needed some uh, Romulans to have 
these warships. They're like, well, it looks like the Romulans are buying ships from the Klingons. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. That's so, funny. So these guys, the planet they are now Morty, using Klingon designs. Planet Morty people are buying their clothes from uh, uh, the city builder planet. Yeah. Another one that did that a lot is Doctor Who. Oh yeah. They reuse monsters. They reuse costumes quite a bit. We'll bite you. All right. Um, so when Kirk uh, gets freed from his little bubble, he, this is what he says: "Stop! Don't kill! We are friends. Come to tell you terrible fact: we are not hostile." <laughs> so he's either doing a uh, really stereotypical Shatner impression, or <laughs> or the same writer also writes Hulk, and he just <laughs> yeah keeps it real simple. I had to write the little broken sentences: "Me Hulk, me friend. <laughs> Do not kill." Yep. Oh, uh, then they get attached to these like little chairs. Electric chairs. They look yeah. like electric chairs. But it's like sucking the truth out of them. And what's amazing about this is um, they got their weapons the whole time. Yeah. So why didn't the, these guards take their weapons away? Whatever. Because the crew just willingly sat into these ominous-looking electric chairs without throwing a fight. Yeah, it makes no sense. But then I love this shot. Kirk's like, I can almost reach my gun. And it shows his hand like, Inching closer and closer to the gun. I just I think that shot's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and you even have like hair shot, on the knuckles and stuff. And then the next good. shot, yeah, the the, the 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 drawing is pretty good. The close up of his hand and the and the gun in the holster. But then the next shot is basically this this doofus guard who's standing there, arms folded, and he's looking right at Kirk. He's like, Haha, "You're not gonna reach that good." And of course he does. Uh, doesn't shoot them. Nope. Frees himself. Frees Scotty or Spock. Um, then free Scotty, I, or, or uh, actually it almost looks like, nah, yeah. well, whatever. It looks like Spock. So they and... free each other. Yeah. And then they, they point the guns at the, uh, at the guards. <laughs> and These the guys whole, are slow. The whole time those guards could have just shot them with the bubble Exactly. Again. Exactly. Oh, good point. Yeah. Rebubbleize them. All right. And then they find out that the, the planet has an artificial sun that keeps the planet warm while it's not in any type of orbit around a real planet, which I thought was an actually good example of uh, some quasi-science. Um, it doesn't explain why the Enterprise didn't notice a big artificial sun orbiting around this planet, but uh, oh well. Can't be nitpicky. Um, and then uh, the, uh, the blonde Scotty at the end of this last page mm-hmm. uh, he's like pointing he's pointing at the, the reader <laughs> and he says yipes be bejabbers look at that so then you gotta turn the page to find out what's bejabbering him be bejabbers <laughs> I've never heard that before. I haven't either and it doesn't even sound good I mean if you're making up stuff that kind of sounds good okay fine but... like galaxy star minute <laughs> <laughs> No, so, that doesn't sound good. So what he's actually looking at is this, like, uh, looks like the Wrath of Khan, like the Genesis planet, this big yeah. city yeah. and Under farm ground. underneath the ground, which I thought was kind of cool. A rural farm, land, rivers, cattle, all underground. And a little, like, 1950-looking uh, flying saucer parked there. Yep. All right, so they obviously can't destroy this planet, so they race over to the other planet. Um, and then you find out that Scotty... Nipped a piece of the the planet, probably to give to his girlfriend on Jupiter Five. Exactly. Um, and then they go to the second planet, uh, which we don't know the name of yet. And then they ask for the uh, the um, the explosives to be beamed down to them. 
and it's just like in this tiny little box that beams right down next to the the crew uh which later on they say is they needed two tons of explosives to destroy the whole planet so that does not look like a two-ton box no although uh mentioning a very high uh amount makes more sense that you'd need that kind of explosives to destroy a whole to planet. destroy a whole planet, uh, but yeah, it sounds like a, uh, an, irra- uh, an irrational amount of stuff for uh, what four or five guys to, to handle. Yeah, in a tiny little box. Yeah. And I do think it's funny they make reference that they're going to use atomic weapons to blow up this planet. And I thought that they said in uh, Star Trek that they Federation or Earth has not used atomic weapons. Since the Earth Romulan War. Oh. So, uh, and obviously that episode came out way before this issue ever came out. So, yep. just another little inconsistency. But again, like you said, that to keep only it simple, a couple Star Trek co- geeks would l- point out. Little kids reading this, they know what an atomic bomb is, they know that it could destroy a planet. So, just to, to keep it simple, I guess. Uh, when, when Spock gets kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't is that great? So so all the charges are set. They're ready to blow the whole place. Yeah. And then Spock, who thinks he actually saw something move. Out of the corner of his eye. Oddly enough, stands right next to an opening in the mountain, which is about, I'd say, like three and a half feet high. Yep. That this this uh, this uh, planet, this guy from the, the, the Uncrusties, is that what they're called? Uh, uncrusty, yes. <laughs> the uncrusties. They, they, One they of the uncrusties sneak out of this little hole and just grab Spock by the feet and yank him in. And what does that remind you of? Uh, I have no A idea. A character getting grabbed like that from behind, underneath, and dragged under. Da, 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 da. It might have helped happen to another very logical Star Trek character. Da, da, Data? Da, da, oh, in first da. contact. Yes, exactly. Yeah, when the board get when him. the board grab him on his leg, pull him under. Yeah, when they're standing in front of the bulkhead for engineering, and, and he gets pulled under. Yep. No, you're right, and it absolutely looks like that with his hands all out, and he's like sliding into the little hole. That's right. That's pretty funny. So when he gets in the hole, the uncrusty guy throws him down a really, 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 really long slide. Exactly. It looks like fun. <laughs> it does look like fun. I wanted. I wish they would have put a little word balloon. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be illogical. Well, his hands are up there, and he looks happy. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, somehow, all the rest of the crew come down there to find out what happened to Spock, and yeah, they get yeah. captured again by the Uncrusties. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's kind of interesting as you hear some of the first words uh, Spock says as he's approaching these uh, these aliens. Um, a were a world, an intelligent people living beneath the Earth's crust. Oh, I didn't Isn't catch that the, amazing? Didn't catch the Earth part. Considering it's not Earth. And what's funny is that where did the people in the previous co- uh, planet live? They lived underground. Exactly. <laughs> and it's he's like, all surprised. Gee, I'm amazed they actually have cities beneath the ground. I know what it is. He's being sarcastic. <clears throat> He's like, see, Kirk, I told you. No. Big surprise. <laughs> Mr. Big Brain Kirk. Mm-hmm. All right, and then they can't destroy this planet, so they come up with the brilliant, brilliant idea to go to the uh, supernova that used to be the star Duna and grab a piece of this supernova, this exploded star, and that this chunk of, uh, 
of the supernova, if brought in between these two planets, would somehow repel them. Negate the attractive forces. So it's part of a sun. A sun is has a super high uh, gravity, not not anti gravity, which would like repel. Exactly. Anything. I mean, technically speaking, you would think it would go ahead and pull them together even faster. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, it, and then they fly to the the ship, and we're kind of jumping ahead, but then they like have this like beam that shoots out of the butt of the ship and then they like spin around this uh planetoid a few times to drag the the planetoid with them or or whatever you want to call now, it. Now, now, why can't Stellar they just use, can't, why can't they just use the tractor beam? Exactly. I, I do like the shot though. I think it looks cool with this big smoke coming behind yeah. it and it's wrapping around the, the yeah, ship. I do. Yeah, it, it does it, it does look good. It looks but... good but it makes absolutely no sense. Ah look the magnetic mesh net complete Cut cannon fire, secure power to anchor magnets. So while they're on their way to this um, to this uh, uh, stellar matter, uh, I totally fell for the you thumb through a magazine or something and you mm-hmm. kind of see a picture so you have a pic- an idea of what, what's going to happen when you get there. When I thumb through this the, original, the first time, there's a picture of the Enterprise and it, and it looks like two Enterprises kind of heading towards each other. Uh, so when I was just thumbing through it, I was like, oh, they're going to come up with another Federation ship. That's mm-hmm. cool. And then the picture right underneath that one is a picture of the Enterprise, and there's huge parts of the hull missing so that you can kind of see the people inside. Yeah, it's cut away. And I'm thinking, man, the ship must really be damaged because I've already read the, <laughs> I've already read the little teaser, and I know that meteors are going to smack the crap out of the Enterprise. And then I see this picture, and, the whole, and it looks like the ship's all destroyed, and there's another ship there to help it. Mm. So then I started reading, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And then uh, I get no. there, and it's just some sort of cutaway to kind of show people where exactly. and, and this is not a unique cutaway. I believe there was another cutaway drawing of the Enterprise in a, another issue. Oh, is that right? I don't yes. remember it. And I don't know before. if it's the same picture that just reused in two different issues, huh. but I've seen this cutaway view used in these comics. That's before. funny. I, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. And then when the media when the meteors actually start hitting the Enterprise, you get this picture of the belly of the Enterprise and this huge jet of flame coming out of the the engineering section. I mean, we've talked about it before, but this this one actually looks kind of cool. You kind of wish that maybe the Enterprise really did. Nah. These big jets of flame coming out of it. But as we all know, it does of course, not. It'd be kind of difficult to launch a shuttle <laughs> going through those flames of, of fire. But that's <laughs> true. Okay, and then they uh, they get they get hit, but uh, they're able to use this pressure wheel or whatever to keep the from decompressing. Yeah, and then they hurry with that counter pressure wheel, lock off this passage. I mean, it sounds like they're counter pressure wheel. Yeah, and then lock off this passage. So it sounds like they're trying to avoid decontamination getting into other parts of the ship in a way. But then they're also talking about counter-pressure. Yeah. Um, and as we uh, all know, they have those little uh, force fields or whatever that, that pop up when the when the holes get breached. Well, in The Next Generation. They don't have it in the... Uh, I, I don't remember them ever having in that in uh, the original series. They definitely have it in the movies. Because in Generations, when Kurt gets sucked out into the Nexus, yeah. and Scotty and them come down and they see the... Well, they have, they have that, because... Because it's, it's all missing, and then you exactly. see you see the and little you see shimmer. them 
Yeah, standing in, in uh, on the now, now they, they needed that because they wanted that great shot, and it was a great shot. <clears throat> that was a very good shot. So they needed that, and then they but, had Chekhov running there. Was anybody in here? I, 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 I. All right, off subject. All right, so um, what do you got when they drop off the the stellar matter? Well, not much. Just uh, the references to a galaxy minute again. Ah, nice. Which is uh, and then funny. again, again the size is way off. Yeah, it shows the Enterprise pulling this big meteor-looking thing, and right. then it shows the planets to either side of it, yeah. and the planets are tiny compared to the size of the Enterprise, which yeah. is supposed to be in between them. Yep. Um, and then the very last page, when it shows the Enterprise kind of flying off, it's a really nice shot of the Enterprise kind of going. Uh, flying above one of these planets. Yeah. And then the, that last little comment, the last line of the. Of the comic about Kirk uh, needing to wait till another Enterprise can come and fix it for real. Because this is only a, a stopgap. Exactly. Which is amazing that it's only... Now, why the repellent power should only hold for centuries? I mean, why, uh, and, and, and perhaps the Starship Enterprise will know how to really solve the problem? So of course, as we discussed before, leaving it for obviously, leave, uh, yes. So uh, you know, there, there's Jean Luc. Oh my God, another mess of Kirk to clean up. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay, that was another good one. We enjoyed. All right, so the next one, Star Trek number seven, published in March 1970, The Voodoo Planet. Ta-ta-ta! So it starts off with a little teaser of Kirk and Spock running from a falling Eiffel Tower. So if that doesn't pull you into the story, I don't know what would. So part one, aboard the Enterprise, Mr. Sulu, making his first official uh, appearance in this series, uh, is working on an image uh, of a nearby planet, and when they when it... Uh, clears up, it looks exactly like Earth. Uh, Kirk and Spock decide to beam down to Paris, and then when they beam down, they discover that uh, the Eiffel Tower is there. And then uh, they notice that it's a little shorter than it's supposed to be, and made of paper mache. <laughs> Amazing that it could still I'm stand not up. joking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. That's not metal. That's paper mache. <laughs> so as they're standing there noticing that it's paper mache, a laser beam hits the Eiffel Tower and it falls. Uh, Kirk and Spock are notified by Sulu, I'm assuming, that uh, there's an emergency on Earth. The real Eiffel Tower just fell over. Uh, McCoy jumps to the conclusion that uh, this must be some sort of space voodoo, which Spock obviously agrees to because it's the most logical thing. Uh, about that time, another laser beam hits this fake Earth and destroys the Colosseum. And conversely, on real Earth, the real Colosseum is also destroyed. Uh, the Enterprise traces the source of these beams that are hitting the planet, and they uh, beam down to this planet. Uh, they beam down to a planet, uh, and they find the uh, inhabitants look little Native Americanish, uh, South Americanish, and they're practicing voodoo. So they have these gigantic voodoo dolls, and they're throwing spears into it. Um, they fight their way through these people and uh, head into a building. Uh, they uh, they overhear somebody in the next room talking about he's going to destroy the Sphinx. Uh, they try to bust in, but they're too late, and a laser's fired, and the Sphinx is destroyed. Uh, they are about to take over the leader when Kirk and Spock are brought down because uh, there's a couple extra guys there uh, poking Kirk and Spock voodoo dolls. 
and they writhe in pain in the end of part one. Ha ha ha! Ho ho! <laughs> part two, the leader is identified as Count Dessler. He's a Earth uh, warmonger who uh, vanished uh, when the ban of nuclear weapons uh, was put in place there on Earth. Uh, he tells them of how he escaped and he found the voodoo planet and kind of took over. Uh, he shows them how he's using this voodoo power and he destroys the leaning tower of Pisa. Uh, just make a note that it seems funny that it's only European monuments uh, being destroyed. I guess uh, yeah, African one with uh, the Sphinx being destroyed too, but... Hmm. They didn't take out Mount Rushmore or anything. Thank goodness. Thank God. Or the White House or something right. really important. Uh, we'll, we'll, they keep that to ID4. <coughs> <and that. laughs> All right. Uh, the, uh, McCoy then breaks them out, and uh, they're about to... Uh, uh, um, uh, he breaks them out. They get beamed onto the bo- uh, board the Enterprise in orbit, and then they uh, both Kirk and Spock start having the pains again due to the uh, voodoo needles. Um, and then Spock has the idea of using Vulcan voodoo against Dressler. Uh, he uh, gets some books, and he and Kirk learn it, and they drink this potion so that they now have voodoo powers, uh, Vulcan voodoo powers. They beam down uh, to defeat him. Uh, Dressler's voodoo powers uh, runs out before his, before theirs does, so they then beam him uh, back up to the planet, or excuse me, they beam back up to the Enterprise, uh, and Dressler says, oh, I'm going to go on trial now and uh, get executed. And then Kirk says, oh, no, we have something better for you. We're going to uh, drop you off onto an uninhabited planet. And the end. <laughs> so, um, space voodoo. <laughs> the voodoo that you do so well. Or maybe not. So uh, there's not a really a lot. I mean, there's obviously just because of the nature of space voodoo, just the idea of it's kind of humorous. Uh, w- wanted to take a little second uh, to talk about when this when this comic book came out in 1970. Uh, comics were really heavily uh, censored by a uh, by the Comic Code Authority, mm-hmm. and due to the Comic Code Authority, they could not uh, show excessive violence. Or any reference to vampires, werewolves, monsters, uh, or any type of zombies. Oh, man. I mean, they really put the hammer down on them. And I'm surprised so, that... So thank God they did. They stopped that, or else we wouldn't have the Marvel's, wonderful Marvel, Marvel Zombies <laughs> series of comics yeah. that we have today uh, in our modern age of enlightenment. Yeah, starting in like 1971, uh, comic companies started to not go by the comic code all that much. Um, Marvel started doing it because they wanted to do a, uh, an anti-drug comic, but you can't do an anti-drug comic without talking about drugs. Exactly. And, uh, so the CCA was like, oh no, you can't publish this. And they were like, eh, well, we're going to do it anyways. Yeah. And so they published it, uh, and then uh, <coughs> soon after that, DC started doing it with, uh, they had, um, Speedy, which was the Green Arrow's original sidekick. Mm-hmm. You kind of find out he was addicted to morphine or something like mm-hmm. that. So they were doing all these anti-drugs. And in order to do an anti-drug, they had to release this comic as a non-CCA uh, comic. And then from then, it obviously, uh, nobody does it anymore. <laughs> Very apparently. <laughs> but, uh, but what's funny is that this all started in 1954 when a guy wrote a book called The Seduction of the Innocent. Mm-hmm. And he said, well... All these juvenile delinquents, they read comic books. Mm. Comic books make people juvenile delinquents. Mm. And so they had this huge uh, public outreach where people were like burning comics and uh, 
that's kind of the reason why older comics are worth so much because you know Superman came out in the 1930s, Captain America came out in the 30s. You know, one it was aimed towards kids who didn't collect stuff, but even the people, I mean, even if there was some that were still in good condition by 1954, there was right. this huge uh, comic book burnings where all the parents would grab their kids' comic books out of their hands and throw them in these big bonfires and stuff. <clears throat> Was that that widespread enough that it really made that big a dent? I don't them? know. I, I'm just guessing. But I mean, but it when you take like into nine, consideration... It sounds like Fahrenheit 451. When you take into consideration kids don't really take care of these stuff. And then, so you got that factor. And then you also have, there was a huge number of uh, just all these comic books that were destroyed that were being saved. Right. Uh, by these, you know, uh, moms and stuff that, you know bought into the public mass mass hysteria that oh these are these are going to corrupt my kid my go god uh, so it, it was kind of silly so that's why I was surprised when I read this I was like voodoo they can't talk about voodoo in 1970 and then I looked at the cover and nowhere on here does it say that it is approved by the CCA at all so somehow gold key they just never even bothered with it and huh. I guess uh, were they small enough to get away from the scrutiny? Well, that's what I thought at first too. But then when you look at some of these advertisements, they have some pretty big comic titles. They have Yogi Bear, uh, all the Disney stuff, all the Looney Tune stuff. I mean, they had a lot of ma uh, you know mainstream type uh, comic book titles. So they must have been pretty big at the time. So, anyways, hmm. just thought it was interesting. Uh, now back to the story. Again, not a lot to talk about. Uh, Sulu's first appearance. And then uh, when when all these monuments are being destroyed on Earth, it shows the people running away from them. And they're all in like 50s and 60s suits with bow ties and stuff. So I just think it's funny that uh, a couple hundred now. years in the, in the future, they're still wearing uh, Jimmy Olsen looking bow ties. Okay. You all know, right. styles are cyclical. Yeah. Uh, towards the end, there's a really great fight scene uh, where they're fighting their way uh, to get to that building, and they're fighting all the inhabitants of the of the voodoo planet, <clears throat> which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And then um, <clears throat> now McCoy, McCoy's in the mix. McCoy's there, yeah. even though McCoy. And sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between McCoy and Kirk with all this action going on, but. Um, well, like, for instance, in, in that one that I think you're probably talking yeah. about most right. that you think is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I mean, Spock is obvious, but it's not in, it's not 100% obvious, but obviously the middle guy must have been uh, McCoy because, of course, Kirk was carrying a tricorder. Um, and you see a closer shot, and that's obviously Kirk, I, said, I suppose. Yeah I, yeah, I guess you're right. But, yeah, their faces look exactly the same. Yeah. Anyway, um, right. and of course, Kirk is drawn there with this with a square lantern jaw. I mean, he looks like. Um, I, he, oh, he, he looks <clears> kind of <throat> like Captain Marvel to me in that picture with the big Captain Marvel was uh, also known as yeah, Shazam. Sure. He had this big gigantic sure. jaw with a cleft and in it, he, and a big squ he had like kind of squinty eyes, right, which right. which this Kirk definitely has <clears> the squinty eyes going. Who were you going to say he looked like? I was gonna say he looks a little bit like uh, back in the uh, '60s. There was a was it a Wyatt Earp show? Um, uh, okay, well, anyway, he, he looks like a lot of guys from the uh, from like the '60s and '70s, like Peter Brack yeah. in uh, The Big Valley. Okay, you know some of those guys who played a Klingon in, in addition to playing um, Nick 
on the big belly. <laughs> All right. So when they beam up back <clears throat> down to, to do the final battle after they've uh, drank in the Vulcan voodoo juice, mm-hmm. uh, they say that they're immune to the voodoo at that time. Um, and then, um, and then, once it's kind of given that once the uh, potion wears off, that any voodoo that they were trying to do would suddenly take effect. So when they first beam down, they try to stab a a, a doll that looks like Dresser, uh, but because he has the voodoo juice in him too, it doesn't hurt him. Mm-hmm. But then, and then he in turn is like stabbing their voodoo dolls in the head, like die. I mean, he's mm-hmm. like, this will kill you. And then he's surprised that it doesn't. Um, and then eventually they start fighting, and eventually Dresser's voodoo juice kind of runs out, and his arm starts hurting him, and he can't move anymore. Uh, and then they're like, haha, we win, and uh, beam up. Right. But then they didn't take the needles out of these dolls that are on the floor, yeah. and if if the Dresser doll started hurting once his juice ran out, then why wouldn't Spock and... Uh, and Kirk die because it's Vulcan there... voodoo juice. Oh, Vulcan lasts forever. I don't know. I mean, come on. The whole thing is pretty lame. It's Vulcan voodoo, voodoo juice. Wow. All right. So that's it for that one. Um, just to kind of talk about what else was going on in Star Trek. Uh, as we said before, the TV series is over. Uh, we still got about three years before the cartoon series starts up. Uh, April 1969, uh, Star Trek number three by James Blish, which was just a novelizations of the original series, came out. Uh, June 1969, uh, issue number four, which we reviewed today. Uh, September 69, uh, issue uh, number five of this uh, comic book series was released. And then December 69, number six, which I think matches up with what we said earlier. Um, and then in February 1970, uh, James Blish, who was the guy who's writing all these novelizations of the episodes, mm-hmm. he writes his first uh, uh, original book uh, based in Star Trek called Spock Must Die. Da-da. So uh, this, is ca- this is considered to be the first uh, adult uh, book uh, of the expanded universe. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, last, last week we talked about Mission to Horatis which was kind of a kid's book where Sulu had the pet rat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting about this Spock Must Die, let me just read the premise real quick. Um, it involves Scotty creating a modified sp- uh, faster-than-light transporter so that he can uh, beam Spock to this other uh, this other um, civilization that's about to declare war on the Klingons and, and cause this big, huge... Uh, intergalactic battle. Ah. So he creates this faster than light transporter. When Spock enters, Obviously far long distance too. Yeah, long distance. What is that like? Yeah, exactly. So when Spock enters it it fails uh, or did it. Unknowingly a duplicate of Spock uh, shows up where he was supposed to go and then we have a Spock here and then somehow they have to uh, kill one of them hence the name Spock Must Die. Mm. But yeah, when I read that I was like, "Oh my goodness, that's just like the 2009 Star Trek movie where he built he creates the uh the long distance one." Yeah. What is it called? Uh it's not called trans Tra- transwarp beaming. Transwarp beaming. Yeah. I think. Something like that. Uh, and Scotty It just came it. out on DVD today, so I'll probably give it a look tonight. But uh I just thought that was interesting. Uh, another thing that's a little bit like is uh, Next Gen had an episode where Riker was duplicated. Yeah. Through transporter accent. Right. And became uh, um, Thomas Riker. Yeah, right. So, th- But they didn't kill him. 
course they just not. had two two Rikers walking around. Right, and he joined Starfleet as Thomas Riker, and as we know, later on, Thomas Riker became uh, a little jealous of his uh, more famous um, twin mm-hmm. and uh, joins the Maquis mm. and then gets captured on Deep Space Nine and is somewhere off in a prison planet somewhere. Mm. We'll know more later because there's a comic book series about Thomas Riker. Da-da-da. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a one shot that I think Wildstorm did, uh, yeah. which was kind of a subsidiary of DC, and it's a, a Riker special, and it's huh. kind of about the the two Rikers. So That's I, cool. I, I've never read it, so I'm kind of looking forward to eventually getting that far. Huh. You know, you know what I think. You, you mentioned all these other later comics. I think something that might be interesting, just to spice things up a little bit, is maybe if we take a journey into the future. I've thought of that too. And maybe uh, take a look at some of these next gen ones. Yeah, so that we don't, uh, you know, it would be a shame that we go, you know, a couple months just going over these 61 comics of uh, The Gold Key. Exactly. We should should kind of space them out a little bit. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, especially since um, the quality or maybe the entertainment factor in some of these uh, maybe more recent comics might be a little higher. Yeah, so maybe we should do that. Maybe we should uh, just um, do a Next Generation and a um, Original Series Maybe even throw in a Deep Space Nine every week. Or or maybe one of the weird ones like X-Men uh, and Next-Gen Titans. Or the or my favorite, Star Trek with the uh, K and X. We're, we're Star Treks, I guess is how you would say it. With Which was the first X-Men Star Trek crossover. Where, oh, oh, I got you. I where got Kirk you. and uh, Cyclops team up. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now, that's really... Now, Kirk's, Kirk and Cyclops team up. Okay, yeah, Sir, Kirk and Cyclops. And they fight. Now, 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 when they do the next gen, um, the next gen. It's Picard and Cyclops. He's there again. Well, that's okay, but isn't um, isn't the Doctor there for the X-T- X-Men? Uh, Xavier? Xavier, Dr. No, Xavier. Wouldn't that be awesome? Who wouldn't is that be awesome? Patrick Stewart? Uh, what, that would have been awesome. <laughs> Uh, the the next generation and uh, X Men team up happened uh, the same month that uh, First Contact came out at the yeah. theaters. Yeah. So well before Patrick Stewart ever became uh, Doctor uh, Xavier. Doctor Xavier, but that would have been awesome. Now after they came out with that book, that comic book, they came out with a prose novel, which was a Star Trek Next Generation and, and X Men crossover. And in that one, both Picard and Xavier is in it, but Xavier is not in the comic book. Ah. And I've never been able to get through the uh, Star Trek Next Generation uh, X-Men novel. Novel? They got yeah. a novel? Yeah, it was the novel. It was, oh. it was written by uh, Michael Jan Friedberg, who oh. I like. Oh, yeah. I've, I like him. I've read his stuff before. Yeah, I like his, I like his Star Trek stuff, but yeah. for whatever reason, I just cannot get through that book. I've tried several times to, to get through it, and then it's just like, I just... It doesn't work in, in novel form, right. whereas in a comic book, I can, I can buy in that Cyclops and Picard have to team up. Right. Cool. All right. So uh, that's it. We'll uh, reconvene uh, next episode. Next time, uh, episode number four coming up. Yep. So everybody have a have a good one. Later, dude. And that brings us to the end of episode three. Uh, as Ken and I were alluding to there towards the end, we did decide to go ahead and move off of the Gold Key series for episode four. Uh, we actually moved on to the 1979 Marvel series. Um, we're going to be reviewing ep- 
issues number one through five. The first three issues was an adaptation of Star Trek the Motion Picture, while issue number four and five is the uh, first story immediately preceding the movie. So we'll be reviewing those. So if you're reading along, go ahead and read those and catch back with us next week and listen to our review. Um, as always, you can always email us at stcomicbookreview at gmail.com uh, or you can uh, befriend us on Facebook, first name ST Comic, last name Book Review. Um, so give us a line, drop us a, a little note, and uh, if you have any questions, we could potentially uh, read them here at the end of the, at the, end of the episode. So until next week. Thank you.